Hello and welcome back once again to the hottest podcast in British ice hockey at the moment, even if I do say so myself, and I have no statistics to back that up, it is Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. I am not Neil Francis, I am Gareth Hewish and I am joined by John Donovan. Yeah, I'm not Neil Francis either, but uh, hey Gaz. Gaz, that intro music was great just then. And I'm assuming that you're going to put it on again. Oh yeah, it's this every week, it's just to stay. Run with the devil to start, brass bananas to end. Perfect. Excellent. Very well done. Gentlemen, good feedback from our playoff episode. Um, Any uh, thoughts from yourself? Anything we we didn't cover? Anything to mop up? Or do you think that we did a, a grand old job? I'm just still trying to get a brass bonanza on my hands. Uh, yeah. Once you hear it, it just, just you get the earworm, don't you? It's, it's uh, my phone music now. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, when I get married for the second time, guys, that'll be my wedding song. <laughs> <laughs> and this week, we are talking about captains. Uh, we had a rare research text conversation mm. yesterday that consisted of about six messages mm. and. John, you successfully listed every permanent captain, I believe. Just off the about. top of your head. Off the top, <laughs> off, of, off your top head. of your head. I, well, so. you had, yeah, I, there was one that um, killed me for. I, I couldn't remember someone for, for three minutes, and then you got it. <laughs> no, they, they were they were a long three minutes. Uh, yeah, obviously, favorite captain is 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 Birdseye. But apart from that, the uh, the Devil's one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I got them all. I think. Um, there's one um, period, I don't know whether we count it, um, the the kind of lockout year in the Wales National Ice Rink, Mike Nicolician was captain initially and then left, and I'm not sure who took over at that well, point, it, as we go it along. could have been one of about 47 players. <laughs> we will start, John, can you tell us who the first captain of the Cardiff Devils was? It was kind of by committee, but... I think because you have to name a captain if I remember back to when I was sort of four or five in that first season um, Lawless and Olivier were joint player coaches obviously John Lawless ran the show so Olivier didn't wear the C that year and it was Paul Farmer I believe not was, Bill Taylor I don't Bill Taylor down as a captain uh, possibly but, but no the, the, I remember uh, I'm not sure whether in 86 you know we, we, we had enough printing to do the C's and the A's so I always remember Paul Farmer having the taped on C with the, <laughs> with the, with the black uh, hockey tape Olivier might be officially classed as it but um, it wasn't until the second year I thought Olivier was actually given it because in the first season Olivier and Lawless were joint coaches with um, Norm Jacks ran the bench who Mike Jacks played for the, the Devils the first year Norm Jacks, we haven't him on the podcast again. <laughs> no, I, I... How long did he stick around, old Norm? Uh, to, uh, he, he, second season. Second season. He was he a was, uh, trainer along with... Uh, this Sorry, this really boring knowledge. The, <laughs> the, the first physiotherapist of the Devils was a guy called Tudor Jones, yeah. who was also the WRU's physiotherapist. So he was... Uh, You'd see him during the what with Five Nations there going on with Wales. And That's a big coup early doors, isn't it? To get yeah. the WIU. Jackson, Shooter Jones, and yeah. WIU. Yeah. Um, so, yes, more of my misspent you. <laughs> um, yes, you are correct in saying Perry Olivier was given the C officially okay. the, next, uh, the next season. Yeah. Which uh, 87, 88. would have been 87, 88. Um, Around that era, gentlemen, he's uh, was there as much of a need for a captain. What, what, 
what's the role of a captain back in 1986? Do you want this one? I mean, there's there's captains in every sport, isn't there? And the degree in which there's the need for a captain, I think, varies by sport. You look at something like cricket, which Mm -hmm. is arguably the most need for a captain because it's very tactical, you know, the whole thing revolves around that yeah. from selection th- right through to the management of the yeah, game the field and field placings what have you, yeah, yeah field placing what bowlers are coming on and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um i mean in hockey i mean you look back then it was semi-professional at best wasn't it mm-hmm. um and you know the guys are still going out there to especially if you think about cardiff starting up it was straight into sellouts wasn't mm-hmm. it so you know you're going to need someone to rally the troops to get um Know, to get the best out of everybody, but I mean, Lawless was obviously yeah. it was the out and out leader on that team, wasn't he? Yeah, um, but then you know, on ice, I guess you need somebody to speak to the referees and uh, you yeah. know, do all that kind of thing. And I think you know, um, you know, Farmer would have been a, a steady head for that, wouldn't he? He's quite yeah. an experienced guy. I think it was, I think in those days, in terms of setting the tone, it was always going to be your three imports, um, yeah. as, as Franny says, the, the Brits were probably semi-professional would be a bit of a glamorous uh, term for it but your, your three imports were were the leaders so you think about Lawless and Olivier and, and, and Bill Taylor initially in, in Cardiff guys like Gary Younger in, in Peterborough I think uh, and again have to forgive me I was sort of four or five at the time I think a lot of teams had British captains because you had referees who were used to communicating in the British way and I remember there was a game against D-side, we, we drew three all, we could have won the game, the net came off its moorings, and the referee was actually um, uh, Mike Kellen's dad. Mike Kellen was the netminder for the Devils. His dad was refereeing the game, which probably shows what hockey was like there. And I, <laughs> Probably in that circumstance, and I'm only guessing here, um, a British guy talking to a British guy would probably be a bit more uh, um, useful in that sense. They used to just get a fan to do the line as well back in those days. <laughs> you say that. Sorry, one more time. I know they're boring stories. In the second, no, third year, in the third year of the Devils, which was 88-89 uh, when we won the first division trophy, there was one game where the line, there was there was two games during the season, one again against D-side when they didn't have a netminder that travelled. So Ian Wright, who was the Devils' backup netminder, went in goal for, for D-side. No conflict of interest there at all. <laughs> Ian Wright later became a, a, a referee. I think there was um, a game during that season where a linesman didn't turn up. Clearly, Ian Wright was, was key to the Devils that year. Uh, he was allowed to go and be the linesman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he played in the first ever shoots and skins. Yes. Uh, I saw yeah, the yeah, game yeah, as well yeah. in the WNIR. Real NHL. <laughs> um, Franny, when I come to you because the, the next few captains for the Devils, or the next two captains for the Devils, um, to me vary in demeanour <laughs> and the way they play. So Steve Moria took over uh, the reins from Olivier, and then after him was Paul Heavey. Uh, very different types of players, very different types of characters. Um, for you, what makes a good captain, and what kind of captain did you prefer when you were playing? Yeah, I mean, there's it's a good point isn't it that there's different ways that you can captain i think if you stereotype a captain you're going to go with the rah-rah leader that's pumping everybody up that is um you know very vocal but you know we've seen successful captains over the years that are that kind of elk which is the paul heavey type Mm -hmm. um and then you look at you know somebody like moria 
um, who's a lot quieter, but I think I think the key to it is the respect, isn't it? It's the respect in the room. Yeah. Uh, you look at our present day captain, Jake Morissette, mm. you know, one of the quieter guys, and sometimes maybe the fans don't associate that with being the captain, and you know they want their captain to go out there and crush a body if mm. we're down a few goals. But uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll go on to the latter day mo yeah. um, <laughs> later on, but. You know, someone like a, a Steve Morrier who, who came in um, from five, having been one of the best players yeah. in the Premier Division, and you know he's come into the to the Devils straight away. He's got the respect of everybody in that room. Um, a leader by example mm-hmm. in terms of the way that you know he'd carry himself mm-hmm. and uh, and play the game. Um, somebody that would turn a game. Yeah. Um, you know, you could rely on him for the big points and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there is very much, I, I think two distinct styles of captain there's that physical big mm-hmm. presence of a captain and then there's the quiet leader by example and yeah. i think as we go through the captains we'll probably you know see quite distinctly that they'll fit into those two categories and um in terms of which captain which captain i prefer i don't i don't think i've got a, got a choice on that i mean as a player i always like to have the players on the team that are that you mm-hmm. know grab the game by the scruff of the neck you know ball by the horns kind of cap uh, kind of player um but they didn't necessarily have to be the captain to do that i think that the, the thing for me is all about having respect for the guy yeah. i think um just following on from that and franny's got the inside knowledge in the room watching as a fan sort of again i, I agree with those two types of types of captain um i think the the, the, the management the, i can only speak because i've been a captain playing football and and you don't want to. I use the word manipulation. You don't want to manipulate the, the the officials. But I think a, a lot of the captain's role. You've got a distinct role between the, the rah rah role, as Franny says, getting the dressing room going, getting the bench going, and I think kind of that on ice management of just having the respect where you can go and, and talk to the referees and what have you. Moria being a case in point, he could always be in communication with the referees. He was never in their face. He, he looked to be respectful. Um, he could have that conversation. You look at someone, and again, obviously we're going to talk about these people later. In terms of the way he played and, and being an icon of the club, Brad Voth was an inspirational leader. I wonder whether he could have the same sort of dialogue with a with a with a referee, you know, <laughs> yeah. particularly from behind the plexiglass. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll talk about later because there was that moment, wasn't there, in in the Voth era yeah. um, when we took the captaincy off him, and I'll you know I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that and the reasons behind that, and you know, it's very much linked to the point you're saying. I mean, I have seen referees be intimidated by captains. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it is the sort of big scary guys and I'm not saying they're intimidated because they're you know frightening them being physical or whatever but it's just that presence isn't it of someone like that I've seen referees being intimidated by somebody that's got a lot of playing experience you know somebody's got 300 NHL games or Tony um, Hand or Tony <laughs> Hand yeah. um, and I mean you, you, you can look at it to more modern day as well you know the successful teams you know have had Quite often we've seen it, haven't we? You know, and, and our crowd, I, I think, particularly dislikes it, where you've got captains who are in yeah. the referee's ear all the time. Mm-hmm. At the end of the period break, they're hanging yeah. around and they're, um, you know, and, and they're having, getting their ear. Yeah. And you just, you know, it's only nat- it's only human nature for if, if something's been sowed in your mind, then sometimes you you can react two ways to it, can't you? You can either fall for it and yeah. kind of. You know, if they've said, you oh, know, watch about all this hooking behind the play and all this interference, then you notice it more, or you go the other way, don't you? And then you 
think, hang on, I'm not telling, I'm not having someone tell me how to referee the game. No. So you don't call it. So it goes against you. So I thought yeah. actually Tate was one of the best of it. I know he wasn't a captain. I'm, I'm very much the school. I don't want to cheat, but I'll take anywhere I can to win. And I completely agree with Fanny there. Some referees might go the other way and think I'm just not calling it out. But I think there's a lot of times where you see players talking to referees and then that team will get the next call or they'll get a makeup call. I always thought Ashley Tate was 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 pretty good at it. Um, you know, there's been players playing for the Devils who 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 were good at it. Um, you know, I think Sean Bonavolio is quite good at it when I watch <laughs> him play. And you do see times where you can go to the referee, have a conversation, and then you do get the next call. Mm. And it's not cheating. It is gamesmanship a little bit. It's a little bit of manipulation. But personally, I've got no problem with that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll you'll hear captains. You know, if you're you'll hear captains going, oh, that that's six straight power plays yeah. you've given them. That's six straight. You know, so what's going on? And then the referee is naturally going to think, well, hang on, six straight power plays. Does that seem right? And then maybe the next time a play goes down, the arm goes up semi-automatically. Mm-hmm. Well, we on this subject of referees and captains and um, whatnot. When you were coaching, were you active in giving your captains instructions of, of what to say to the officials? Were you someone who wanted to speak to the officials yourself? How, how did that work when you were yeah, on the bench? Yeah, I mean, I felt during that whole era, we didn't have a great relationship with the referees um, for a number of reasons. Maybe Jared Adams' comments about them on that documentary that that Stephen did. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or shouting at them, yeah. maybe bench coaches shouting at them, or something. But no, I, I I felt like it built up over a long time, and you know I think there was, um, yeah, there was a strained relationship between us. So sometimes I would like the re- the referee to come to the bench to to explain to me his decision because sometimes I found them quite puzzling, and you want to know is there something that I can do as a coach that's going to stop us getting those. Three power plays a period, uh, three penalty kills a period, um, and maybe you know a bit of gamesmanship by sowing that seed into the mm-hmm. referee's uh, mind that you've got a coach that's unhappy because they feel that you know the game's being called against them. Um, it, it it worked with varying success. I say the one thing that I always I I, I felt I shouldn't have had to rem- remind the captains to do it, but I always wanted them to do it. Is that other teams seem to be sending players to the referee to get in their ear after the period, and I didn't want our guys to do that. Um, I don't particularly like it, but what I wanted was for them to be a presence there. So if they saw a, uh, one of the, uh, the the opposition captain talking to the referee, I wanted somebody with a letter standing there, not saying anything, but just kind of managing that conversation. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't too much gamesmanship going on. Just so you know, the pre- I, I felt that that would maybe put a stop to it. And of course, it gives you an opportunity that if you do feel it's unfair what the other guy's saying, and you feel it's a bit of gamesmanship, that you can step in. So that's one thing I always kept an eye on at the end of the period break. You know, and I would send an assistant captain or a captain just to get you know just to kind of you know stand on their. Uh, in their presence and uh, and find out what's going on. The other thing, just to finish on this, is you hear stories of captains, and this is where true leadership comes in, that they just do stuff away from the rink. You know, I remember um, the last year in the, the Wales National Ice Rink where Gerard Adams was captain, Nathan Rempel came back from London, I think he was struggling initially. Was he was he benched or pulled out of a game by Ed Patterson? Gerard was, was injured at the time and, and, and went to speak to him and calm him down and what have you. 
I know we don't talk about the difficult year, but I'm aware of the work Mac Faulkner did did uh, that year. You know, you've heard stories of of, of Mo uh, Jake Morissette, who is a quiet leader, but you know, Todd's told me stories of him taking guys out for lunch and things like that, especially new guys coming into Cardiff, making them feel welcome. So. I know fans look for that leadership on the ice, and of course that's important, but I think leadership can come in a number of different ways. Excellent point. We'll zero in now on Paul Heady, who was captain for a good couple of seasons. Franny, I get the sense that Paul Heady may have been a good captain for the social aspect of the team. Well, can you tell us anything? Uh, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know in, in, inside, inside. And I, <laughs> I like the whistle. Like, <laughs> I can just imagine Paul Heavey being someone who maybe when the team was a little bit down would be able to, to bring them back up. Was, uh... I think he definitely fits into that kind of intimidating captain. You know, he's very, <laughs> very, very much a, a rah-rah guy. Um, not afraid to call people out. Not afraid to, you know, give a boot up the arse when it, it was needed. Um and of course, you know, his style of play, you know, he was a fairly limited player and his style of play was physical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he would get into fights when the game was flat and he would throw big hits when the game was flat. And, you know, nobody really, you know, he was our first kind of policeman, if you mm-hmm. like, wasn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he, he was a natural leader because nobody would disagree with him. You know? So in terms of, uh, you know, if you want somebody to take charge, um, you know, he was doing that, and you know, he was following on from, you know, a successful captain in in Mo, um, and you know, he was a very different style to Mo. But you know, he's a player that made the most, I think, of his ability, mm-hmm. um, and you know, definitely, you know, got the boys fired up in the right way. Um, and he, you know, he started the trend that you know we'll see as we as we move through this of guys that are captains that then go on to be coaches yeah. quite often with with the devils how difficult was that from a locker room perspective someone going from being one of the boys to being the man in charge and did Heavey's manner change from being captain to coach or was it quite a smooth transition um i think it's it's one of the most difficult thing from Going, even though you're a leader of your peers, but then being to the boss of your of your peers, I think is very very difficult. And there, you know, there's a, a select few that can make that. Um, I think Heaves definitely did change. Um, he was always the life and soul, uh, you know, of the boys. He was always, you know, the one kind of leading the charge off ice. And then when he became a coach, I almost think not not the I think paranoia is a, a strong word but he was always like interested in, in what people were saying what was mm-hmm. going on were the guys going to be going out and having a beer and you know you start looking at it from a different point mm-hmm. of view and you know I've been in that situation myself where I've been a player you know who like the social aspect as well <laughs> and then of course you're a, a coach and then you automatically think oh my god if the guys have one or two beers that's yeah. going to be it now you know we, we, that's a that's a loss um so you do start you know, picking up interest in in you know what's mm-hmm. going on a little bit more rather than being you know relaxed. Um, so he definitely, uh, I mean, he was intense as a captain. He was intense as a coach. You know, his work rate was was the same throughout. You know, he was um, he made the most of his uh, ability as yeah. a player, and then as a coach, he was the one of the first um, 
guys to sort of really uh, go into the bookwork side of coaching, you know, and, and look well, to better he, himself. He always recognised his limitations. The one thing that, that I did, not the one thing, but, but something I always thought as a fan, I had great respect for Paul Heavey. Bear in mind, he's following Steve Mari, who you got to, you know, humor sake forget about Rick Rabant for a second but you could <laughs> you could argue you could argue along with with Joey Martin you could perhaps say Steve Murray is, is the best player to, to, to wear a kind of devil shirt Heavey as Franny absolutely says was a completely different type of defenseman he was a limited British defenseman but a physical defenseman who who, who knew his job he was honored to be captain of the Devils. So I remember that year he took over the captaincy there was some discussion of whether he would be back we'd re-signed the Coopers there was obviously a degree of financial outlay there and he actually took a pay cut to come back to the Devils and I think that impressed Lawless and that obviously impresses the, the, the fans and I think when he switched to becoming a coach and an important thing for Heavey was during the 94-95 season his season was ended early and his career was ended so he was assistant coach first albeit it was only half a season but he spent some time on the other side before Lawless left for Manchester but Heavey's been very honest in interviews and, and you know to echo Franny's point he realised when he was a coach he was um, a little bit limited there were players he were going to be given instructions to that were far more talented than him so I got the impression he tried to work harder than anybody else and yeah. say look at the video look at the, try and improve himself so you've got to respect that sheer hard work he brought in as a coach yeah and uh, one story that sticks out in my mind you mentioned that his season got ended early I think it was like a, a foot injury mm-hmm. And it might have been when we were in Europe that he took a big shot onto his foot and he broke his foot. And I always remember afterwards that we'd been out and you know the tournament had finished and we'd gone out seeing Heaves right up on the dance floor, <laughs> jumping up and down <laughs> on this foot that, that had just been broken. Now, he didn't know it was broken at the yeah. time. But, and we're like, what are you doing? I thought that's a bad... Yeah, he goes, I think I'll just loosen it up a bit. You know, it's starting to feel better already. And that was nothing to do with the 10 points of goodness yeah. or whatever he'd had uh, prior to the dance floor. But uh, yeah, the lasting memory of him as a player was him yeah. hopping up and down on this broken foot, <laughs> thinking he was going to like loosen up whatever yeah. uh, you know, tissue damage he'd yeah. got. But uh, yeah, it turned, it turned out to be you know, a bad break. And then, you know, talking of breaks, he then gets his break into coaching. And, you know, the, the unseen happened then next summer, didn't it? Where yeah. Lawless then gets poached by yeah. Manchester Storm and uh, it's Heaves that gets the call yes. up. Yes. Uh, you know, that's a tough job in itself, isn't it? Replacing the founder of the Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, Heaves was grateful for the opportunity to play for the Devils even more grateful for the opportunity uh, and I think you know to this day you know is very thankful to David Hemi that put him in that place um, and he was definitely looking to make the best of his opportunity and he was the first of almost like the new age of coaches mm-hmm. if you like where you know it became a lot more about analysis about systems um, you know and he went on all the coaching conventions probably ahead of his time mm-hmm. and you know carved out a very successful career as a coach and you know, not just in, in Cardiff, no. but up in air as well. Yeah. Um, and he's still involved still in... Still junior programmes, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's got his hockey schools and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, yeah, de- definitely one that didn't want to let the opportunity no. go without giving it his best shot. Absolutely. And lifted a trophy. Perhaps lifts the trophy better than any captain in Devil's history. He was he <laughs> was, he was the one-handed lift, lift with the fist pump. He was a, he was a good trophy lifter. <laughs> Oh, the things you remember, John. Just looking here, so if I'm right, and I'm 
I'm not. I'm sure uh, the people around me to tell me. Um, Heavey's choice of captain, Stephen Cooper. Yeah, well, uh, when when uh, during that ninety four ninety five season, it was it was Lawless. It was still Lawless's choice at the time. It was uh, the new captain was named during Lawless's last season. Mm-hmm. It would have been Stephen Cooper, I think, by default. But he was actually out at the time with a. Uh, quite a serious, I think, knee injury. It was funny, Ian Cooper got injured one year in pre-season, was out for about three or four months, and similarly, Stephen was the next year. So, Nicky Chin actually took on the captaincy um, for uh, a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, as soon as Stephen Cooper was was, was fit, you know, he'd been an assistant captain at, at Durham and his first spelling card, if he, he'd captained GB previously. So, yeah, he was kind of the, the natural fit. Frank, talk to us about having that British Welsh voice as captain in a, in a dressing room that is increasingly becoming more multinational. The important rules are being relaxed around this time. So to have someone like uh, Chinny there being the representative, how did you find that? Was that a sort of sense of pride almost that uh, one of you guys was able to? to be the man in the room, so to speak? I think it was a, a nice reward for Chinny um, for being the first sort of Welsh guy to make it. You know, he he was the first guy that um, came through the ranks and made the step up and again, you know, did a, an amazing job of making the most of everything. He was um, a super strong guy, so a very physical player. He was starting to mature, wasn't he? As, uh, you know, he's still a young guy. Yeah. Um, but Chinny was always really confident, and I think that's what Lawless liked. That you know the fact that uh, um, you know Chinny was playing a man's role on the team. That he'd come up through the ranks, and it was a I think a nice story to put a, a Welshman in charge. He just had that Sheffield final, which we talked about in the last podcast. So he was he yeah, was, he, he was he hot property. Leadership, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, in, when it mattered. So he proved himself um, that he could step up to the plate and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's always nice to see one of your own do well, and and uh, you know, I'm sure that was a very proud moment for for Chinny. Again, super story. I do remember <laughs> it, it was it was actually my favourite ever kit that year, um, and it was uh, like green sleeves. It had the Welsh feathers on it. It was, it was a lovely kit. Obviously, green shorts as well. Obviously, Obviously. green shorts, <laughs> old logo. Um, <laughs> and I do remember because you know. I, I assumed that Stephen Cooper was going to be named captain when, when, when he came back, but it, there was a sort of a four or five week kind of interlude, if I remember, and, and, and Chinny was named captain. I remember, um, it's always a good story when you talk about going into the toilets. When I went into the toilets once in the Wales National Ice Rink, there was a guy who'd had this top and he'd had 17 chin printed at the back and he'd had the captain seat put on it. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't have rushed into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on eBay now. On eBay, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Stephen Cooper, what kind of captain was uh, was he? Uh, Stephen Cooper was um, again a captain hugely respected. So he he's maybe one of the ones that comes in like halfway between those two defined captains that, that I've said because he's probably quieter than you think he would be. You know, being that he was such a great leader on the ice. Um, that you know he was physical when he needed to be if he dropped the gloves people knew about it um you obviously well respected you know the cooper brothers wherever they went trophies went yeah. um but probably quieter on the ice uh, oh sorry off the ice than you think he would be but when it mattered he would say something and you'd listen you know it was what he was one of those captains and i would say 
a modern day equivalent to Stephen Cooper as a captain, very, very similar mould is a Tyson Marsh. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, may not be the most vocal all the time, but when they did speak, then the room stopped, listened, yeah. and did as instructed, you know, that kind of captain. So, again, you know, massive respect for Stephen Cooper and everything that he accomplished in the British game. Um, I think probably a natural leader. Uh, again, had the ability and uh, to talk to the referees mm -hmm. and the respect. You know, this is the Cooper brothers, and mm -hmm. obviously he's going to know what he's talking about with everything that he's done in the game. So... Um, you know, he, he, I think, you know, in terms of balance captain, I think, you know, the Stephen Cooper, the Tyson Marsh is a, is a really good, uh, really good example. Just to, because I love the Coopers and, and I'm still bitter about the way they left, but the first permanent <laughs> captain not to win a trophy for the Devils. Just to throw that on him. Um, Olivier, maybe he wasn't that good then. <laughs> <laughs> Olivier got Orton Trophy, mm -hmm. Mario got Orton Trophy and League Trophies, what have you. Evie obviously got trophies, so yeah, he was the first one when he was captain not to win a trophy. Wow, that's quite a damning statistic. Maybe. Yeah, loved him, absolutely <laughs> loved him, but uh, the terrible, terrible captain. Hey, just you talk about that. I remember one of my favourite guys when I growing up watching the NHL was always watching Steve Eisenman in, in, in Detroit and he's gone on to have a successful career now, you know, GM in Tampa Bay, now, now Detroit. And I was watching a documentary the other day and he was a guy that rarely spoke in the room. Um, he was one of those, as Franny's talking about, led by example on the ice. He would do things on the ice that, that set an example to his teammates, but you wouldn't hear from him in the room. He, he I, I was um, watching something, he believed it to guys like Chris Draper and, and Darren McCarthy. But then when he did speak, you know, Allah, that Stephen Cooper thing. When he did speak, boy, did you listen? Because if he was going to say something, it was going to be something important. Going to take something you've kind of said there and, and throw this, uh, Franny, in terms of the relationship between the C's and the A's. Mm -hmm. Is that a, a, a group effort between the three of them? How does that dynamic kind of flesh itself out within a locker room? Um, I think with the A's, you can maybe get somebody that's a little bit more light-hearted, and I, th I think you'll you'll see that. You know, modern day, you look at someone like a Matthew Myers, mm -hmm. who always tries to see the you know the fun side of things, um, but again leads well mm -hmm. on the ice. You know, you can't doubt with the, you know the trophy haul he's got is I think probably second to none. Yeah. Um, in the locker room, he's very light-hearted. Um, so sometimes a coach won't want to have those light-hearted guys as the captain because you know they can be jovial and stuff like that. So classic example is your Shannon Hope, mm -hmm. who was an assistant captain yeah. for uh, a long time. Actually, captain GB. He did captain GB. Yeah. Um, and again, you can do that in a short tournament mm -hmm. because you want somebody that's lightening the mood, especially when they're in pool A. Yeah. Um, you know, up against it. You want someone like a Shannon that's going to kind of keep the guys loose, mm -hmm. um, but maybe not throughout the whole season. Yeah. So a guy like Shannon then complements a captain that's maybe a bit more serious, and, and Stephen Cooper was really serious um, as a captain. Uh, I, I actually remember, you know, this is going on, you know, quite a few more years now, and, and Stephen's obviously locally, you know, mm -hmm. he lives in Penarth and, uh, and works in, in Cardiff now. Um, and I spoke to, to Stephen after our first year of the new ownership. So we just won the Challenge Cup yeah. um, and we missed out on the league mm -hmm. on, on Countback, didn't we? Um, and I spoke to him and he's like, oh, I can't believe you missed out yeah. on, on the league so close. And naively, I said something like, 
Well, I think, you know, we won the Challenge Cup, which is fantastic. You know, that kind of exceeded our expectations in a, in a, um, of, of the new era. Uh, and coming so close to the league title, the thing is, if we'd have won that league title, then where'd you go from there? You know, you, you, if you win it all, where'd you go from there? And dead pan, he just looked at me horrified and he goes, you just win it all again next year. <laughs> and I just think that kind of summed uh-huh. him up about like what a winner he I is because because <laughs> I was like kind of justifying why it was a good thing not to win yeah. it. I mean, probably trying to justify it in my head, make it feel a bit easier. But he was just like, no, he just win it again next year. Mm-hmm. And like having experience over the last few years about, you know, winning the league and then retaining it, that's a massive feat in sense. So don't ever think yeah. there's too many times that you can win mm-hmm. something yeah. because it gets harder and harder and harder, you know, the amount of times that, that you do in a row. And as we've just experienced, you know, the pressure that was on for that three-peat yeah. was just tremendous yes. and ultimately was probably our, our downfall. And, uh, you know, Stephen knew that as yeah. a serial winner, he knew how difficult it is to win year after year after year. So yeah. he put me in my place. <laughs> he was, And I thought Stephen was, you know, I, I jokingly said he didn't win anything as a captain it's because he was only captain a short time I thought Stephen was going to be captain for, for many many years um, and obviously finish his career in Cardiff for one reason or another it, it, it didn't happen as I say I'm still a little sorry that both Stephen and Ian didn't get to finish their careers in Cardiff but why didn't did, it happen let's go into it people might not know listening well as a Franny might have a better understanding I, I John John Wallace was in Manchester and and um, I don't know he he'd come in as, as, as coach I didn't know I don't know what that relationship was 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 like but the there were a couple of major departures the the first year Heavey was coach Chinny went to to Sheffield um I don't know maybe that was he wasn't getting the financial rewards he thought he was due after taking on that leadership role and the big games etc um and yeah Stephen Stephen went to Manchester with 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 Lawless and I think you know Ruggles went to Manchester as well there was talk at the time Shannon was going to go to Manchester so I think Lawless was kind of trying to put a team around him that he he, he knew these guys yeah, um, I mean, in terms of um, Chinny, I mean, he said on, I think it's on the um, mm. 4000 and Counting podcast, and he said that he was getting taken advantage of in Cardiff by being a local guy, okay. you know, always playing for the lower money, mm. and, you know, Sheffield have come in with a way, way, way better offer, and he thought, well, why shouldn't I get paid the money that other guys are getting paid? I mean, he's obviously seen the Coopers yes. come down to Cardiff, doing handsomely out of it, Mm-hmm. You know, we had, as everybody knows, we got offers out on Tony Hand every yeah. year for, you know, for significant, Still do. significant <laughs> money. Yeah, yeah. And I heard he's just taken it, so he's, he's, just, in. he's in. He's gonna lace him up next year. Yeah. For us. Um, but he's, you know, he's seen all these guys making good, good money out of it, and he's still getting the kind of lower end because he's a local guy, and he's just gone. All right, I, if if that's how it's going to be, I'm going to move away. Sheffield, uh, uh, you know. Uh, a very a financially yes. rewarding team so he's gone up there and he's got a much better deal and created a name for himself I mean in terms of Stephen um, yeah I mean John Lawless has been given a good budget mm-hmm. for Manchester uh, he's gone after someone he knows is a serial winner um, and Coops one thing that he showed throughout his career is he wasn't afraid to shirk a challenge no. or or to go somewhere may, where maybe not the obvious move. I mean, why would you leave Durham, yeah. you know, who are winning everything to come down to Cardiff? Well, I mean, we know it was the start of the professional era um, and Stephen knew he had a limited window in yeah. terms of, you know, making the most money he could out of a, a short career. And it was a, a new opportunity. He'd won everything in Cardiff and 
you know, he's gone to Manchester, but I mean, you're right, Hilton Ruggles went, yeah. and, and I know Shannon almost went, mm-hmm. and I was actually one of the first people to visit the 9X Arena really? as it was there with James Manson. Yeah, because Manson went, didn't he? Yeah, Lawless was going to take us both as well, so we went round with uh, myself, Mance, Shannon, Hilton, yeah. I don't think Stephen was there, we went round as the 9X was being built, yeah. so Lawless yeah. is showing us, you know, and we walk into the dressing room and they're the size of the ice pad in the yeah. Wales National Ice Rink and you know we actually walked up on the gantries that go right across the ice where yeah. the scoreboard eventually would be you know looking down on this absolutely huge huge I mean 16 17,000 yeah. seat arena um, so I was actually close to going to Manchester at the time as well what stopped um, you love uh, of the club <laughs> no, I think, I think <laughs> better players came along <laughs> uh, I, I, no I, I think it was a number of things I think um, when I went up there, Lawless wasn't sure in terms of what other players he could attract there. And then there was, you know, there's quite a few that you yeah. then started to sign. And then I just started getting a bit twitchy about like, how many am I going to be competing with here? I've just started university as well. So it's like, do I give up university for this, um, you know, for dream or do I do the sensible thing and stay where I am? So I think you just a number of factors that eventually it was it was better for me to stay in Cardiff. But uh, it was very interesting to see. I mean, I remember at the time we were going up, they hadn't even decided on Storm. And it no. was, I think it was, when we were up there, we met in a hotel and they had, you know, it was really professional that they put a grand lunch on for yeah. us. And Lawless all of a sudden, he's showing us the sketches of their new shirts. We're going to be the Manchester Storm. And I didn't like it straight away, you know, because it always been sort of <laughs> names after characters. And yeah. this was a kind of... A weather. <laughs> <laughs> a weather, yeah. Um, but, you know, he started showing us and the, uh, you know, if you remember, like the mask thing. Yeah. They still well, Shannon yeah. did it, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. So Shannon did it. So they had all these concepts. Still got paid by him one way or another. Yeah, still got paid. <laughs> yeah. They had all these concepts. So it was really exciting to be, you know, like, there at the yeah. start when it was all, you know, and that really tempts you in. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, it didn't, you know, it, it wasn't to be for me, but... Um, you know, Mance went up there, Hilton went up there, yeah. had a had a great time, and uh, yeah, it must have been amazing to play in front of that. Right? Yeah. So Stephen was, I forget the reason Stephen wasn't there on that trip. He did have a year as captain under Heavy. Um, the, so the first year when when um, Lawless left, we brought in Randy Smith, Ivan Matulik, uh, Greg, and Mike Ware. So Stephen was captain um, that year. So he was captain for probably a year and a half. He'd been alternate captain his first spell at the Devils. Um, so just to protect Stephen's credibility here, yeah. did Stephen then go back to Durham as a captain and win trophies? No, Michael Connor was captain. He was alternate captain still. Oh, I can't even help him out there. <laughs> never, never. Pick. Come on for GB. Did he ever get promotion or anything? He did. Well, he got promotion, there but but, but as as is he captain. No, <laughs> right. This is gonna. I, mean, I know you think I'm a stalker, and I'm, he, he was captain the year they got promotion from Pool D, which was held in Cardiff. Chris Kellen took over as captain. So whilst they were in Pool D in '89, Stephen was captain, and they failed to get promotion. So if you want to win trophies, sign Stephen Cooper, but don't make him captain. <laughs> what I love is you don't even have any ambiguity to play with, right? <laughs> like, oh, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. No, no, he wasn't. But <laughs> that Pool D, that must have been a challenge and a half. Well, Spain and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. After Stephen Cooper is one of the most iconic Devils captains for a number of reasons, and a captain I dare say unique to every other one um, in Devils history, Mr. Mike Way. Um, Franny, 
with Mike Way's way of playing, was that a problem for him where in the sea, the way that maybe he would go about things out of that dynamic of Mike Way the player with the sea um, shake yourself out? Off ice, Mike Ware is the most gentle, most kind, thoughtful, fantastic human being. Like he's, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, a story is. I remember I went out to visit a friend in Mississauga, a guy that played on on the Devils team, um, and I contacted Mike, um, saying, "Oh, I'm I'm going to be over here for a, a week, whatever it is," and. Uh, He's like, oh, I'll come down and see you. Now, I didn't know how far Barry is in Ontario mm-hmm. to Mississauga, but it's about a two-hour drive or, or maybe even more. Um, you know, we were at uh, this guy's house and we were um, you know, there having beers and the next thing he shows up and you can imagine the whole house of, uh, it was Jamie Visser, uh, mm-hmm. of his friends when Mike Ware comes in, he was six foot six, scars all over his face and he just shows up at the door, everyone's panicking and then he just comes in and he he came in and you know everyone couldn't believe how yeah. great a guy he was and then he came out with us and all of a sudden he just turns around in the middle of the nightclub and says to me, right Franny, I gotta go, I gotta drive back now. <laughs> and he literally drove down and that's the kind of guy yeah. Mike Ware was. You know, he, drive, he drove all that way just yeah. to come on and say hi, hang out for a couple of hours and then drove home, which, you know, that I was just absolutely blown away that he'd do that. And, you know, even when he was in the DL in Germany, he'd fly over on their weekends off, uh, and me and Keats and a couple of others would go for a beer with him, mm-hmm. and then he'd go and fly back, you know. So he was off the ice, just the the definition of gentle giant, on the ice, as intimidating, as scary as, as anyone that's played in this country. And um, in terms of how that translated into a captain, I mean, you never wanted, nobody ever cross him, and whatever he said went because you knew how intimidating he could be. Um, but you also respected him mm-hmm. on that. I mean, he was a great player in his own right, wasn't he? Yeah. As a defenceman, as a forward. Yeah, you know, he, he played in the NHL. He fought the toughest guys in the yeah. world. You know, the, all those things. Everyone had massive respect for Mike Ware. On the ice, we knew that he had a, a short fuse. And maybe that doesn't go down so well as uh, uh, for a captain. But... I do feel he must have been intimidating as a referee. Mm-hmm. If as a refer for the referees, yes. if you've got Mike Ware coming over to speak to you, surely your heart's going to be pumping a little yeah. bit faster. So um, you know maybe he had that influence in in that kind of uh, in that kind of. Way. I also think he, 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 yeah, Mike Ware's always going to take big penalty minutes. It was it was always again I say. Franny's got the inside knowledge, so this is just me playing guessing games as a fan. But it was almost interesting when Lawless named Heavy captain. Heavey was always this rough, tough defenseman, but he 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 was picking and choosing his moments more when he was captain. And I always wonder where Heavey saw that and passed it to Ware because I always thought Ware was was always tough, always had his teammates' backs, but was a little bit more responsible when he got made captain. So I, I was wondering, you know, whether Heavey sort of echoed what Lawless had done yeah, to him. Perhaps that's the the skill of the coach thinking, okay, I, I want my guy to be physical, I want him to be the intimidating one, but I need. To keep the red mist away a little bit, let's give him a bit more responsibility mm-hmm. and uh, and see if that works. Yeah, but uh, no, great. Uh, yeah, and you know, came back and had a second spell and Super League winning captain and uh, yeah, first Super League winning captain yeah. and you know lifted uh, the Monteith Bowl. Yes, um, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, oh, poor old Monty. So in Cardiff, if you want to see it, full <laughs> of M&Ms at the moment. I think. <laughs> um, so from way. Um, 
we're coming on to what well, on Twitter today I posed the question uh, who is your favourite Devils captain mm. and why and this gentleman won by a landslide I've even seen Mike McWilliam has endorsed yeah. this man as the best Devils captain just now um, Mr Ivan Matulik yeah took on the reins and for me easily top five favourite Devils players of all time um, I think Personally, when I think of the way that Matulik played, that to me encapsulates a captain all over. I, I think it encapsulates a captain all over. I also think it encapsulates the Cardiff Devils all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and how often do you see, you know, Ivan Matulik, Mr. Cardiff Devils, if, if you had somebody that epitomizes the club? Um, and I've got to say, still doing it to this yeah, day. Yes, very much so. He's very, very interactive with our fans on, on Facebook. I don't think he misses a day without wishing somebody happy birthday that's on his friend list you know he still go to those lengths well that um, message he sent you for the final which Terry um, yeah. covered yeah, yeah. I, I mean I mentioned it before like you said that he at big at big moments during our season I'll get a an encouragement text from, from Ivan that you know you boys have got it yeah. you know and, he, and he's following it and you know he still lives and breathes the devils and I think you know it was the most enjoyable part of his his career and uh yeah, I mean, he. I mean, he's not a, actually a captain that I played under very much because that was at a time when I, you know, the the league had gone up to mm-hmm. mega de- mega super duper league, and uh, almost dispensed with all the um, Brits, all the Brits. Uh, so I was playing down the Rage, and I think I had a year out then. Um, but I mean, I I just know it. as a teammate, Ivan had it all where he had. A very, I mean, one of the funniest guys you speak to anyone that's ever been on his team. Probably the funniest teammate that you've ever played. I mean, it does help that he's got that, you know, the, the accent, accent and sounds like yeah. Arnie, and <laughs> you know, some of his pronunciation of, of Welsh words that he, you know, yeah. he, he couldn't understand. Whenever we were leaving, we'd all be like ta-ra, ta-ra, yeah. and to him he was ratata. <laughs> and so every time that he, you know, we'd leave the ring, whatever he ratata. <laughs> but uh, yeah, really funny guy. All, always great, you know, to have a couple of beers with. Um, massive competitor on the ice. Yeah. You know, you you just saw it in his eyes. You know, he had really sort of wide open eyes, mm. didn't he? When you, you saw that challenge and. Um, you know whether it was a hit whether it was skating like the wind a big goal you know he had that huge uh, performance in the playoff playoff weekend Um, so he just brought it all didn't he you know big game player fun guy respect of the room um, and yeah I mean if someone epitomises the Gareth Devils it's Ivan Matula yeah I think there's so many things to say about Ivan funnily enough it was again similar to Stephen Cooper you didn't expect Mike Ware to, to leave Cardiff and, and, and give up the captaincy. I, you know, again, I'm not completely sure of the politics of it, but I think we released Greg, um, and maybe Mike, you know, was a, obviously loyal to his brother. And Sheffield made an offer, and he went to Sheffield. So wasn't there a back injury as well around this time? I know that yeah. Sheffield talk about how he was such a warrior for kind of. I, I think potentially, through. but but certainly, I never think it's great politics to release somebody's brother when when they get <laughs> the captain. But there you go. Um, so yeah, we were looking for a new captain, and I was I was convinced again, just a fan, but I was I was convinced Ken Hodge was going to get it. Just simply, I didn't know the guy, but NHL experience, what have you. He, so it was his second season. Um, we just won Super League. Hodge, Matula, and Thornton had created well, probably top three iconic lines in Devils history. When you think of McEwen, Moria, Cooper, 
Pell, Matska, Beerbrayer, and uh, you know Martin, Lord Morissette. Those those are sort of the iconic lines I think of. Yeah. I thought Hodge was going to get it, um, and and Machulik got it, and I don't, the guy just looked like he. You know, he, he, he was Eastern European anyway. It looked like he'd won a war. Uh, you know, it looked like he could. He'd come out of the trenches. He, he would literally go into the trenches with you. Um, he was so strong. And again, similar to Heavey, he just seemed so passionate about playing for the Devils. Um, and the alternate captains changed at this point. So whereas it had been Shannon and Doug for, for, for years, it went to Morier and, and Frank Evans. So... I don't know what Matulik was like communicating with the referees, particularly in terms of his, his um, accent, but I think <laughs> leadership by example and that rah-rah guy, I think Matulik probably is the most iconic Cardiff Devils captain, um, but I think Heavey was quite clever in, in having Morier and, and Frank Evans as his lieutenants. For me, it, it was every celebration was like it was his first ever pro goal. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that that... You know, you're delirious enough when a goal is scored, but I just felt like there was extra energy in yeah. the building if I even materially yeah. scored, just because he would bring it. He'd be banging on the plexi or yeah. tagging yeah. on the shirt. But Lord, oh, very much. Uh, yeah. It's a very and similar. It's one, it's one thing that we all share with Todd Kalman is that we love goal celebrations. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse, isn't there, where somebody will just kind of stand there and not do anything. We yeah. want to see the passion. We want to see someone go up and smash the plexiglass, do whatever. You look yeah. at the playoff weekend, just gone Bryce Reddick yeah. scoring yes. those two goals, yeah, and yeah. it was yeah. again just like yeah. the first goal he's ever scored, yeah. and I just think it just adds that because oh, they care about your club as much as you yeah, do. Well, that's yeah. the impression, and it would just lift the rink. And you think the Wales National Ice Rink again, yeah, Fran, I don't know what it's like to, to play and being a fan when two and a half thousand, or when they put the balcony in, two thousand seven hundred people would get. I thought you were going to add it up. to the actual seat number. I think it was about, <laughs> two, I think it was about 275, something like that. <laughs> yeah. But th- that ring was intimidating enough anyway. When when someone like Machulik got the crowd going, um, I assume it, it must have been an advantage. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, as much as a player you are, you're also like a fan reader. Really, you? You, know, you, you want that passion and you see a, a leader like that go out and score a big goal and then... You know the huge celebrations that follow it uh, it's hard not to be pumped up after that yeah just before we move on from Ivan was he someone who particularly needed the captaincy I get a sense he would have been just as passionate just as vocal just as g'd up uh, without it yeah I think he comes into that category definitely you know there, there is guys that don't need any letter on there to do the same thing um, and I think yeah I mean he was always going to be uh, the you know the funniest guy around. Um, he's always going to be a guy that's going to bark a little bit when things aren't going our way. He's always going to be a guy to put an arm around your shoulder if he if he you know recognised that that was needed. Uh, so I don't I don't think he changed one bit as a captain. I think he was just himself. But that that itself made him a yeah. good captain because he wasn't trying to be something that he wasn't. No. Excellent. So Ivan was captain for a number of years. Uh, the crowning achievement of, of his tenure was the playoff weekend mm-hmm. in Manchester. He gets both goals yes. in the final. Yeah. Gets to, to lift that playoff trophy. Yes. And uh, then, unfortunately, it all kind of unfolds to the Devils and we get to the lockout year. Franny, you were in the lockout year. The the captain that's listed officially is uh, Nicolishan. Um 
but I get the sense that was a room run by committee a little bit more than some other locker rooms. Joe, you know, you know I think I might have mentioned it before, or maybe some just offline discussions that we have, is uh, Mike Nicolishan was a guy I'd love to have seen on... He the, said he could have made it, he could have made yeah, it Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have seen him on a stable Devils team, because I think he was very, very gifted. Um, you know, he had a very all-round defenseman, um, really good guy as well, so... You know, he would have been a, a good captain, but obviously that year was uh, was stuck with problems and um, not long into the season, all in, part, in, all in Ports Bar, Jamie Visser were, yeah. were released and it was, you know, limped through to the end of the season. I'm trying to think who was... Hazelhurst became coach, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. When, when the, the... I think Hazelhurst was probably captain, first of all. Okay. And then did what we do in the Devils. Yeah. We make someone captain and we make him a coach. <laughs> um... But yeah, I think Hazelhurst was captain after Nicolishin went, yeah. and then uh, my favourite ever coach, uh, Ken, Ken Southwick. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, Southie, yeah, yeah. He, he got mad at people not saying hello to them when he was speaking to <laughs> strangers and uh, when he was running around North Park, and uh, you know he had enough, and then he went, and uh, then we were left with all the Brits, and I've got a feeling it might have been Lee Cowmeadow then that was captain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that. Uh, well, maybe it was me. No, maybe let's, let's say it was me. No, because Stoney <laughs> came back as well, didn't he? Stoney was away in Guildford, Guildford maybe, yeah. and he came back that year. Yeah. And no, it definitely wasn't me. I think I might have had an assistant on there, maybe. But uh, I think out of everybody, it would have been Cowie. Okay. And we definitely didn't win trophies that year. No, it's a strange year. <laughs> Very good, John. Where were you on that year? I can't imagine you being very happy that someone was advocating you not go to the ring every Saturday. No, did, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm quite prepared to say this now, and I've uh, turned 37 this week, and I've made many mistakes in those 37 years, and one of my biggest mistakes I regret, um, the first game of the season, was I was in university at the time, so I was a, a, a loose end, my dad had, had stopped going to the, the games, um, and the first game of the season was against Peterborough, and it was a, a Peterborough team, that Dougie McEwen was playing for. And everyone knew there was going to be protests and there was a picket line. And if you know my politics, you should never cross a picket line. But I was so idealistic about the history of the Devils, I didn't want Dougie McEwen playing in front of an empty rink. Or in front of, I thought that was more important than the, the protests going on. And I, um, yeah, I went in. And, and Doug was really happy about playing the <laughs> one fan yeah. who, who we didn't know and, and was quite so stalkerish. It's something I regret um, because I think the battle needed to be fought. And I, and I know Bob stayed on afterwards. And, and you know, for all people criticise Bob, he also put his hand in his pocket and did some great things for the club. So, yeah, I, that, that's one I struggle to. That's another episode. That's, another <laughs> that, that's something I struggle to, to, to wrestle with. I, I don't think I did the, the right thing, but it wasn't born out of any lack of solidarity with the Devils fans it was because a, a young idealistic 18 year old didn't want one of his boyhood heroes uh, Dougie McEwen playing in front of a, uh, an empty ring so yes I was one of the few that, that went in there but I hold my hand up and say I, I, I probably wouldn't do it again still cheap season ticket though wasn't it uh, yeah, when Bobby Brown became our top scorer, I think I stopped going to the bar. I think I was going to say women and alcohol took over. Alcohol took over. Um, so Ivan comes back with Mike Way for the BNL season. 
Brian, where were you for the BNL season? Where, where was your career? This did you take a year out? We we were. Yeah, I think I either played for the Rage. I might have played for mm. the for the Rage that year, or um, had enough. Yeah, and and taking. I mean, there was yeah a couple of years where you know it, it wasn't going right, and I you almost fallen out of love with the game. Yeah. So uh, so I either was playing in the Rage or um, or taking the year out. Yeah, and then the Elite League is formed, mm-hmm. and there's a reunion. All the band is brought back together, yeah. pretty much. And uh, Mike Weir is installed as captain again mm-hmm. for the uh, 03 04 season. Randy, any change in the captaincy? This is a different Mike Weir, a little bit slower, definitely coming to the end. He's mm-hmm. that's testimonial. He retires at the end of the year. What was the dynamic like of Mike Weir in this final season as captain? What did he lose and what did he still retain? Well, I think Mike was always happier being back in Cardiff. You know, it was his uh, home away from home. Uh, he always kept the house down here, even when he was, you know, in London and Sheffield. Yeah, he always kept his house down here. Um, you know, he had friends down here. Like you said, he used to visit in his downtime and come back. And, uh, you know, he's particularly close with Keats and... Uh, I think him coming back, um, you know, getting that testimonial was it was a big thing, um, and yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike, where I don't think changed from day one in Cardiff to to the very last day. You know, he's a very very genuine guy, as I've said, and uh, you know, Mike, where always played the, the same way, no matter what. You know, he, he still had the fuse, he still had the you know the massive personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there was any change in him from you know from the beginning to the end. One thing I do want to ask, and I really want to go into this season in great detail one day, because I think that beneath the surface there's a lot of interesting yeah. things. This locker room was heavily rumoured in the stands to be a more difficult locker room with a lot of big personalities possibly clashing. Is there any truth to that? And how did, if there is, how did Mike act as captain to try and steer that one way or the other? Do you know? I, I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as maybe it was. It was thought to be. Um, was the vote vote on Mulvena true when Shannon came in and, and asked the the room whether Mulvena still had confidence, or the team still had confidence in Mulvena? I don't think it was like as everyone was brought in together and show of hands kind of thing but I'm sure there was lots of uh, individual questions being asked and you know I think it's fair to say that he didn't have the room Um, you know I think that's something we've spoken about before you know does a coach lose the room Um, I I don't think I think people had lost a bit of faith in him as a coach and the the direction he was steering us in Um, so you know you don't like to see people lose their jobs but I don't think anyone was that disappointed that there was a coaching change it, it i i just remember that from 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 jason stone's testimonial program which was a great and, and jason <laughs> jason stone was brave enough to say that he was the one person who voted for mo Venner or, or one of the people who voted for mo Venner to stay because he was getting a lot of responsibility and a lot of ice time and i also thought that was courageous of, of, of stoney to, to to say i think making where captain was uh, a pragmatic move for the for the fans in that you just had this horrible year before um well or a horrible year sort of two years previously you'd had the bnl kind of 
wear and come back and, and taking the captaincy and then again into the elite league it, he was almost a unifying figure in the sense of remember what this club once was he was remember. a return to the top flight the, yeah. the Sheffields and the Nottinghams yeah. were coming back and absolutely so I, I think it, it you know maybe Mike wasn't as kind of as, as potent or on top of his game as he, he was before but probably from a political sense probably in terms of drawing fans in who might not have come otherwise and you know echoes of Brad Roth later I think that was quite a sensible move making uh, making Mike Ware captain again but yeah I mean you mentioned strong personalities in the dressing room I mean when you're looking at strong personalities on that team you had guys like Russ Romanek, um who was very vocal Vezzi mm-hmm. you know we knew uh, Vezzi is really vocal but you know, had been in Cardiff um, for a number of years, and uh, you know, again another guy that it was his home away from homes. Um, Jeff Burgoyne, yeah, you know, fan, you know, one of the most liked teammates of all. So strong personalities, but you know, not not necessarily not in a bad way. Um, Dennis Maxwell could <laughs> be a different guy. Um, you know, always. I don't know how to describe Maxi. I personally got on really well with him, but I felt that there was a touch of insecurity about him that he wanted always to know that he was doing well and, you know, uh, were people talking about him and was he liked? And I, I think there was that kind of... So maybe that's where the, the sort of rumours come from. But, you know, you look down the list, I mean, there's a, there's a core there. You know, you've got guys Ivan. like... Yeah. yeah, you've got guys like Jonna as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Frank Evans and... Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, looking back on that, it was actually, I mean, Ed was Ed Patterson again was somebody that if he didn't like you, yeah. maybe would make it difficult for you. I got on really well with Ed, and I had, you know, I got a lot of great things to say as him. I really enjoyed um, being coached by mm-hmm. Ed um, in later years. But there were some guys that maybe couldn't take his his bluntness, mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that he would call you out and. Uh, you know, and stand up and in uh, that kind of leader that you point the finger some people don't react well to that I never minded it because if it's justified then you know yeah. so well we, we'll stick with Patterson because he takes over from where um, having joined midway through uh, mm-hmm. the season before and Dave Whistle you could tell instantly made a uh, yeah. give him a lot of responsibility when he, he joins mid-season was he like that straight from the off? Was it was it clear that Patterson had a, a kind of leadership aura as soon as he joins the room? Yeah, I mean he's again a big, strong guy, um, and Ed could be quite mean and intimidating when he wanted to be, Absolutely. and he wasn't afraid to play on that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I do feel that Ed, if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't, he didn't, and there was no middle ground. So. Um, Again, one of those captains that was more of a, a kind of push you rather than pull you with him, yeah? Okay. Not an arm around the shoulder guy? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, his um, season's captain cut short? Shoulder injury? The, the, yeah, the, 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 um, the whistle year where we had the dragon instead of the logo. I remember stuff by Kits. Yeah, he, <laughs> he uh, injury cut him short. I don't think... Um, I don't think when I initially saw Ed Patterson, the player, I appreciated him as a player. He looked a bit, I don't know, he was old, maybe, you know. He put on the wing when he started as well. Yeah. He was a natural sentiment, but he was put on the wing. I just thought he like looked a, a little bit sort of 
Camdenson and 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 I, and I I didn't I didn't take to him straight away um, and I I really like Russ Romanek and a great skater and seems to be a personality um, but yeah when 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 Whistle came in he, he immediately sort of made Patterson his 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 right hand man and and then um, Patterson the coach um, always a bit of a sh- not a shame in the sense that that Jared and, and, and Franny they came in and they were good times but always a bit of a shame I thought that Patterson didn't have a a longer run in Cardiff and circumstances uh, um, went against him a little bit can't wait for that episode either yeah but again there's a guy captain into coach captain into coach yes just trying to remember who took over the sea once Patterson went down Bezier there we go yeah. Sacrosini yeah so was that that was for the season then yeah that was halfway so through the rest of the season yeah because yeah. then the full time captain after was G was wasn't G it? yeah G Patterson was... signed G from Sheffield yeah correct yeah but no uh, when Craighead came in Craighead was essentially Patterson's replacement yeah. and then uh, Vezio took the C for the rest of the season yeah Vezio as a as a captain how's I mean you're not going to shut him up regardless of what letters on his jersey no but you, you, but you talked about his relationship with officials it was good bad indifferent Vezio was probably one of the masters at uh, you know we talked about the gamesmanship yeah um, you know he would he could sew things in people's head, in, in the officials head but, you know and they wouldn't even know it I mean he was um, he was very good at that kind of that kind of thing and he wasn't afraid to go up and challenge things and but in in such a way you know it, it's it's kind of like a um, a mind trick almost that mm. you know he's saying the opposite and then you know <laughs> he's, he's getting the results that he wanted but uh, you know I think Vez was a you know a guy that again very passionate player that uh, would step up with you know massive goals big mm. moments in games and you know and that was the appeal then you know when you want a short term notice captain you know Vez can go in and, and do that role straight away yeah and it's just another one of those plays you, you say about Machu like you say about Heavey he wanted to be in Cardiff you know he, he had that year away in London the, 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 the troubled year in Cardiff I don't think it was his choice to go away and he came back as soon as he could and, and every time he played um, for the Devils as a fan again whether this is you know true or just the appearance he put on but you felt as a fan that this was a guy who loved the club as, as, as much as you loved the club. And um, certainly the effect like Machulik he had on the rink was, you know, you, you wanted to go to war with Vez and, and, and he was one of your own, even though he's what, from Montreal, he was an adopted Welshman. Yeah, he was um, one of the, um, the most competitive guys, I, I'd say, that I've ever, ever been on a team with Vez, no matter what it was, whether it was table tennis, whether it was... A push-up competition, golf, whatever it was, he would go all out to win and was not a happy chap if he didn't. No, absolutely. <laughs> and would probably make you go again and again. And again. <laughs> 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 yeah. 